Welcome back. It is episode nine of Maroon Weekly. We didn't get taken off the air. We are back for season two. I know you guys were worried, um, but I'm doing great. Glad to be back. How about you, Miles? I'm doing well. Awesome. So let's get straight into it. All right. So this episode, we have a recap provided to us by Quinn Kane of the Illinois primary election that happened last week on the 20th. And then we're going to go into a recap of the news since our last episode. If you stick around to the end of this week's Maroon Weekly, we have the world premiere of the Quadcast, a new pod from the Maroon, in which Aiden Million speaks with the leaders of various RSOs on campus and learns about what they do. First up, we have Quinn Kane here to talk about the Illinois primary. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Maroon Weekly. I'm reporter Quinn Kane, and I'm going to be covering the results of the Illinois primaries, which took place last Tuesday, March 20th. If you want some more information on all the primary candidates and the key issues on voters' minds going into these races, go back and listen to the weekly's March primaries episode. In that episode, I spoke with members of the Citizen Bulletin, David Wyman, Alex Shura, Zarek Drozda, and John Luca Young. Today, I'll be joined by the Citizen Bulletin once again, but instead of John Luca, the Maroons' former editor-in-chief, Adam Thorpe, will be providing some insight into how Hyde Park voted in comparison to the rest of Chicago. Thanks, everyone, for coming to talk. Thanks. 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 Great to be here. So let's get started with the Cook County Board. So, Alex, why don't we start with Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. So she was running for board president. Um, she's the incumbent in that position. And she was facing um, a relatively strong challenge um, in the Democratic primary from Bob Fioretti. If you remember, one of the key issues here was the soda tax. Right. So how did the soda tax affect her? Well, it's pretty interesting. Um, she won uh, the race relatively handily. 58% um, of the vote went to her. About 41% went to uh, Bob Fioretti. And the interesting thing was, um, in a couple of other Cook County board races with commissioners who had strongly opposed the soda tax, um, they were actually narrowly voted out in their own primaries. So based on the fact that Tony Preckwinkle won uh, relatively strongly and the fact that other commissioners who had supported um, removing the soda tax were voted out, um, it seems like this issue was at least passed over by voters or they've come to accept the necessity of some more financing um, for Cook County activities. And what about in Hyde Park's district? Who won the primary for Cook County 3rd District Commissioner? Uh, the candidate won was endorsed both by Tony Preckwinkle and the Chicago Tribune, uh, Bill Lowry. He's, um, if you remember, an attorney um, and has a strong anti-gun platform. He's founded a nonprofit to focus on gun violence in the city. There is actually a Republican candidate. Uh, we didn't expect that. It's, there's almost no likelihood that he'll win. Um, but a frequent critic who likes to turn up at town hall meetings and yell at the elected officials, is running as the Republican challenger, George Blakemore, and he got about 2,000 votes. So Adam, how did Hyde Park vote in the Cook County board elections, both president and the third district? So I think that this looks to me like a testament to Tony Preckwinkle's, the support that she can still draw on from her old uh, ward. Nine of the 10 precincts that gave her the highest percentage of support were in Hyde Park. In the third district commissioner race as well, it seems to me that uh, Bill, Bill Lowry really depended on Hyde Park precincts to give him his margin of victory. David, could you tell us a little bit about the Cook County Assessor's race? So the Cook County Assessor, 
until recently was Joe Barrios. There was a report released by independent consultants that concluded that uh, the assessment system under Assessor Barrios was systematically redistributing wealth from poor households to wealthy and politically connected households. And so when this all came out, that put a huge, basically, bombshell in this, in this race where before Barrios was almost sure to have been reelected, and then suddenly you had Fritz Kagi emerge as a challenger and beat him by a significant margin. I think it's worth mentioning, since we've talked about Berrios and talked about Preckwinkle, there's an interesting sort of next step, which is that Preckwinkle is now running for Berrios's position as chair of the Cook County Democratic Party. I think that position is sort of what people make of it. Back in the day, it was the, the throne for whoever was running uh, the, the, the legendary Cook County Democratic machine. And to have... Preckwinkle in that position, I think, would be, would be very interesting um, as potentially a sort of different player. She told one of the newspapers reporting on that move that she was going to clear out the old boys club. So why don't we shift from Cook County races to the Illinois governor's race? Uh, Zarek, let's focus on the Republicans first. We had a race between incumbent Governor Rauner and challenger Jeannie Ives. Who won? Uh, Bruce Rauner. Governor Rauner. And how close was that race? So this is a very uh, hotly contested race, um, which is sort of unprecedented, right? Because you know it's very rare for an incumbent governor um, to be challenged within his own party. Um, and then the margin of error or the margin of kind of difference uh, with the results was very uh, like razor thin. Rauner won by 20,000 votes, uh, so it was 51% versus 48%. And Ives also came at Rauner from the right, especially regarding social issues. Has Rauner seemed to have adjusted his positions or acknowledged that this kind of campaign really did a number on him? I, I think he's you know continuing to kind of push forward. I think it will certainly serve him strategically well as he goes into the general election because as long as he was able to kind of survive the push from the right, when he's in the general, he wants to move to close to the center as possible, right, to get the most votes across the state. In, interestingly, facing that challenge from the right, there were at least some signs that some people read as... Uh, as Rauner tacking to the right to avoid getting outflanked. He revealed that he was a member of the NRA, which as far as anyone can tell, we didn't know before, which seemed to be an indication that at least for the period of the primary, he wanted to take a, uh, a rightward stance, which is obviously politically risky in a state where he's going to have to be seen as uh, closer to the middle if he's going to be competitive. Uh, in the general. So why don't we turn to the Democratic primary now. Uh, Zarek, who won? Uh, so Pritzker uh, won uh, with a pretty uh, firm kind of comfort zone. He received 45% of the vote, and then the next two leading candidates, who were Daniel Biss, uh, current uh, Illinois State Senator, and then Chris Kennedy, uh, were both around the 25% kind of areas. Why don't we talk about Biss real quick. Adam, Biss did really well in Hyde Park. So that division of the vote that he talked about with about 50% for Pritzker and then 25 for Kennedy and Biss is basically reversed in a lot of these uh, Hyde Park precincts uh, where Biss gets about half the vote and the rest is divided between Kennedy and Pritzker. Biss ran as a relatively progressive candidate. He had some connections in Hyde Park. He was a, a university math lecturer. Uh, the rest of the South Side he did quite badly. The, on the west side, he did fairly badly. And obviously, in the end, across the state, he uh, did not do well enough to, uh, to win. There, there was one interesting exception to that. Um, in 
Champaign County and McLean County, um, which are home to UIUC, University of Chicago, Urbana-Champaign, and then also the uh, Illinois State University. Um, BIS did very well in those counties, which was surprising for a rural area because you wouldn't expect that, but be, um, people speculate that it's because of the college campuses. The BIS spent a significant amount of time campaigning on college campuses around the, around the state and maybe not as much focused on just kind of like more rural communities. But the winner of the nomination, J.B. Pritzker, faced a lot of backlash for some leaked phone calls. How do you think those are going to affect him going into the general election? Yeah, it, it's a really interesting question because, so just to kind of a brief recap, that those calls with uh, Governor, at the, at the time, Governor Bogoyevich, you know, uh, it seemed like that there was sort of some sort of pay-for-play um, where he was going to be offered either state attorney or state treasurer. It, it kind of made an exchange for uh, funds. And I think it might hurt him kind of going into the general election, right? Because in the general, you now have two billionaires, Bruce Rauner and J.B. Pritzker. And I think that J.B. Pritzker is sort of would have had the maybe strategic advantage of saying, okay, yes, I'm a billionaire, but I haven't been involved in politics as much. I have a clean slate, et cetera, et cetera, until this call came out. How do you think money is going to play into the governor's race coming up? Many estimates out there believe that this governor's race will surpass any prior governor's race across the country. So Democratic candidates for governor drew almost twice as many votes as the Republicans in this race. Do you think that those numbers will hold? Or do you think that the two nominees are sort of lukewarm candidates who aren't going to draw as many partisan voters? For a non-presidential election, I think this is going to be high turnout because I think people are really going to want to shift Congress to the extent they can. I'm not sure I would be surprised if that big a gap in terms of partisan alignment holds up. But my, my prog prognostication for what it's worth would be that there will be that it will be a fairly high turnout election. I think two other factors just to kind of consider is that uh, I, I think the the national kind of coverage this election is getting is, is really high compared to most state races. Kind of, and that's creating a lot of headlines, um, makes it more exciting, makes it a more interesting race. Um, and, I, and I think another point to consider, and this might detract from the turnout, is this kind of goes back to the point we were discussing earlier where Rauner is seen as a sort of corrupt billionaire and now J.D. Pritzker is also has money and maybe distrusted just for, for that and then also has the tapes that came out about him. That might have some sort of drag on turnout. On the Republican side, the governor's race was not supposed to be competitive at all. And I think it's extraordinary the fact that Ives got as close as she did to beating him. And if I was a Republican, like, watching this, like, from downstate, I probably would have been thinking, oh, I'm just going to, like, sit this one out. There's not much reason for me to vote because Rauner is just going to get, um, you know, the go-ahead to the general, and then that's when I'll really need to vote. And so I, I would think that there are a lot of Republicans who didn't vote in the Republican primary for governor and who now will then be more motivated um, to come out in the general election. So I definitely agree it's going to be a high turnout election for that and the reasons that everyone else has talked about. Now let's talk about the 25th District State Representative race. Adam, could you give us some background about who is running in this race and who held this position? So this district uh, extends from High Park down past South Shore and into East Side. It is a district that can send sort of consistently progressive reform-oriented politicians to Springfield, and it's been occupied for 40 years by, by a woman named Barbara Flynn Curry. She rose to become the, the second most powerful Democrat in the State House. She's the majority leader. So she's, she's retired after 40 years in office, 
this is a very attractive seat. I think there, there's a sort of political base that you can build from and stay in office for a for a very long time and, and sort of build up some political capital. So it was a very crowded field to replace her. In the end, a lawyer and microbrewer named uh, Curtis Tarver, who has I think what I think have to be the best beard in Illinois politics. Um, We're 10% of the vote right there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, how did the numbers turn out? So he ended up with roughly 25% of the vote, and then there were just a herd of other candidates at about 15%. High Park tended to favor two candidates uh, named Adrian Ermer and Grace Chan McKibben. But ultimately, with the sort of Hyde Park-based split, Tarver, who, who got a fairly strong amount of support uh, across the district, is, is headed to the State House. Republican challengers are, um, it, it would be uh, quixotic. All right, now let's move on to the Illinois Attorney General race. The Democratic nomination went to Kwame Rao. Can you tell us a little bit about him? He's a state senator for Hyde Park. His, his, his biggest opponent was former Governor Pat Quinn, which especially in an uh, election where name ID is important, that's presumably a pretty potent challenge, but it didn't end up working out that way. Finally, let's move to the rent control referendum. David, could you tell us what was in that referendum? Well, the referendum was on a proposal to lift the ban on imposing rent controls. What is rent control? Oh, so rent control is a program in which the ability of landlords to charge uh, market price for rent is limited in the interest of affordable housing. But um, in this particular instance, the effort was led by a group called the Lift the Ban Coalition, and that effort was very successful in that the referendum was not like sort of one uniform referendum held throughout Cook County. There were various referendums on like that same issue held in different combinations of wards and precincts, but in every single uh, permutation of that, uh, the rent control, the, the referendum to lift the ban was passed. And what does that mean that it was passed? Is that a binding agreement? Oh yeah, so it's absolutely not a binding agreement. It's basically a sophisticated opinion poll, <laughs> <laughs> essentially because all of these issues um, need to be acted upon by state legislators at the state level in order for there to be change. And so this basically is essentially the electorate sort of sending a message to um, elected officials being like, it's up to elected officials whether or not they want to act on it. Well, thank you all for talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having us. If you want any more information about the primary elections, you could read Adam's article, How High Park Voted, or check out the Citizen Bulletin article, A Student's Guide to the March 2018 Primary Election. Thank you to Quinn for providing that segment. Now we're going to go into the rest of the news since our last episode. First up, Faculty Forward, the union which represents non-tenure track instructors, finally reached a contract with the university after years of negotiations. So I recall there being some talk of a strike happening. Did that end up occurring? No. So about a week before the deal was reached, instructors threatened to strike. However, the strike was adverted. And in the agreement, apparently it covers many areas of importance, including increased pay for both part-time and full-time lecturers and expanded eligibility for medical benefits. Also, we have some news from the Divinity School. Grounds of Being, the cafe in the basement of Swift, reached an agreement with the administration about their rent dispute. Do we know what exactly the agreement looked like? Yeah, so they reached an agreement for a year in which Grounds of Being will pay for its utilities and about one-eighth of what the space costs, which is around $9,500 a month. 
They'll also begin to accept maroon dollars starting in June of this year, but they'll remain primarily a cash business. Also at the Divinity School, Professor Lori Zola is set to step down as dean and take on the role of senior advisor to the provost for programs on social ethics. In other news, starting today, Monday the 26th, Sweet Spot and Hutch Commons will be replaced by a new poke and sushi station. It's part of the university's initiative to partner with local businesses owned by both minorities and women. And the poke station will be closed on Wednesday and Saturday nights to accommodate shake day and Saturday meal swipes. After 120 years, the university announced that it would be ending its operations at the Yerkes Observatory by October 1st of this year. What reason do they cite for closing down Yerkes? So the announcements cited many factors for the change, including cost efficiency, programming concerns, and the fact that the Yerkes facility, quote, no longer contributes directly to the research mission of the university. On March 5th, the Maroon reported that the university was being sued by the Pearson Family Foundation for almost $23 million. If you want to learn more about that story, you can check out the feature that's published on the Maroon's website. So we've got a fantastic event to plug for you this week. At 7 p.m. on Wednesday, the Promontory is going to be hosting an event called Selling Out, which explores the Faustian choices artists flirt with when they use pop culture in the creation of their work. It features Tanya Leone and Wynton Marsalis, and general admission is $20, but students can get in for 10 Now what you guys have all been waiting for is the weekly tech fact. First off, there was a fatal self-driving car accident involving one of Uber's self-driving Volvos on Sunday, March 18th, killing 49-year-old Elaine Herzberg. The importance of this is that currently self-driving car legislation is trying to make its way through Congress, and it is not yet clear how this story making national headlines will affect the legislation. Now that's all the content we have this week for the weekly, but we're going to play for you the first episode of the Maroons' new podcast. It's called The Quadcast, and in it, Aiden Million talks to heads of RSOs on campus about what their RSOs do and how people can get involved in them. We hope you enjoy it. And you can check it out as further episodes come out on the Maroons' iTunes and SoundCloud pages. for sitting down to talk to me. Yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure, so I'm Marissa. I'm a fourth year physics econ major here and one of the co-chief enthusiasts of the Society of Lawn Sports Enthusiasts. Yep, I'm Mary Jen. I'm also a fourth year. I'm majoring in history, law, letters, and poli-sci, and I am also a co-chief enthusiast. Fantastic. Yeah. So you want to tell us a little bit about what the Lawn Sports Enthusiast Club does on campus, or what that means? Um, so we are a group dedicated to getting together once or twice a quarter and enjoying lawn sports together. By lawn sports, we generally play croquet and bocce, though we're potentially like open to adding other sports as people suggest them. Um, and so yeah, we get together here on Eckert Quad actually, and we'll play croquet, we'll typically get some Chipotle too, or some other form of food, and it's just generally a fun way to spend some time. Most people don't have prior experience. I certainly didn't. No. <laughs> I'm not very good. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all amateurs. I, there have been some actually talented members of the organization, but
but for the most part, we're, we're all amateurs. That's great. So, um, kind of how did you end up joining the Lawn Sports Enthusiast Club? How did you find out about this organization on campus? Mm. Kind of like a chain of friendships. Yeah, uh, we've just had friends who got it passed down to them through other friends and siblings, and we, I guess I ended up joining my second year, the end of my second year, mm -hmm. and you kind of joined the end of second year as well, right? Yeah, I didn't, basically you have to go to, you know, X amount of events before you can you know, officially call yourself a lawn, lawn sports enthusiast. Mm -hmm. So I, I or a board member. Yeah. Um, so I joined a little bit after Mary Jen. So how did you come to this leadership position in this organization? <laughs> um, so it is a relatively small organization that rewards attendance and dedication. So we just kept coming to all the events and uh, through that ended up being appointed first vice presidents and I mean the progression is really vice president <laughs> to co-chief enthusiasts. Yeah. Uh, we count anyone who stops by, likes our Facebook page, expresses interest as a, a member, a potential member and yeah. so in order to be a leader in a leadership position you just show up for a lot of things and yeah. show that you're interested. It's fantastic. Yeah, we believe strongly in the sanctity of lawn sports. So. <laughs> We, we try not to advertise food or anything like that because, mm -hmm. you know, come for the long sports. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. Obviously, you only want true true fans. True fans, of, yeah. Of Precisely. Long sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I guess, uh, what are your respective favorite long, long sports? Mm, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, croquet. Um, I'd say croquet is the heart yeah. of the organization, mm -hmm. not to dispatch you. We like it a lot, too. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. I've been trying to, we, we've been trying to think of more lawn sports to add, mm -hmm. um, but but for now, uh, just okay. I don't know, it's like, it, it, it requires, I guess, a little bit of skill, but mm -hmm. it's very easy to just kind of like mess around with friends and like, you know, it, it allows six to, like, people six can people play at play, once. So. Oh, great. Um, when we have more people show up, sometimes we'll alternate, like people will take a break to go eat or sit down and someone will take over for them, so yeah. It's also easily adaptable, like you can play half of the game pretty easily, mm -hmm. and it, it's like golf with 18 holes versus 9 holes. Like you, can, <laughs> yeah. you can make it fit your specifications very easily, but I don't know, I think it's a lot of fun. There are a lot of cool little rules that you have to remember. Mm -hmm. You can't go through a wicket backwards or oh, you're cool. disqualified. Yeah. There are variations that you can play on the end, which we only add based on how much time we have yeah. to add them, but yeah. It's also, I don't know, it, they have little rules that you can kind of get back at your friends. Actually, do you guys mind elaborating on some of your favorite quirky croquet rules? I mean, uh, like it has to be croquet for me, just because, yeah. I don't know. It's vindictive. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's like you were getting I'm in my sorry. way, so now you, <laughs> yeah, you can go over there. Yeah, the way uh, croquet works is if you hit someone else's ball mm -hmm. um, while trying to get through a wicket or just purposefully you want to hit their ball because it gives you another stroke, uh, you can then move their ball directly next to yours. You put your foot on top of like your own ball and hit your mallet, hit your own ball and the energy like transfers and shoots their ball off. I'm not actually strong enough to do it, but that, that's what we mean when we talk about like, uh, it's called roqueing or croqueting yeah. and that's what the name, the, the sport gets its name from. Um, I also like that one, but I guess the poison rule mm -hmm. at the end uh, is cool and you have time to add it. So once you hit the stake at the end of the game uh, and your ball comes up, you can then go down and basically be a rogue ball and you have to try to hit everyone else's <laughs> balls uh, in order to win. Uh -huh. And so it's kind of like a cutthroat variation mm -hmm. on...
That sounds great. Um, so, do you actually mind explaining how you win um, <laughs> a game of yeah, croquet? Sure. So, let's see if you can, you can visualize this. You kind of set up, wait, you have two stakes, one on opposite sides of a field. Mm -hmm. yeah. In front of those stakes are uh, wickets, like little gates. Mm -hmm. So, there's two of them. Mm -hmm. Every time you pass through a wicket, you get an extra stroke. Mm -hmm. So, you have the two wickets in the front, and then you have one forward and diagonal to mm -hmm. your right and then it goes in out in so it, you make it a, a figure eight shape. oh great yeah so you go right in right in left in left in does if that mm -hmm. make sense yeah that makes sense um and so the goal is to get back to the beginning uh -huh. um, so once you was mentioning poison it's like the, per the first person you get back to the beginning and then you keep playing to catch up to everyone else okay mm -hmm. um, i'm not good enough to do that yeah yeah <laughs> That sounds really, really great. So how long does uh, your average game of croquet last? It probably depends on how good people are. Yeah. Um, ours can go for an hour pretty easily. I don't think that's standard. Yeah. Um, but the, you have people who spend, like, myself included, like 10 minutes trying to get through one wicket. Yeah. So if you go uh, past one, you have to come back to it. Because oh. if you go through backwards, uh, you're eliminated. Mm -hmm. And so that's a common thing where you shoot past it and then you have to spend all your time getting back. Yeah. Do you only get one uh, kind of try per, like one one shot, I guess, per, per like whenever mm -hmm. it's your turn? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you get one shot unless you hit someone else's ball or you go through a wicket and then you get an extra one. Okay. Yeah. So, like, it's the type of game where people are good can pull ahead very quickly, and people who are bad are still at the beginning. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's especially we play on Eckert Quad, which is not always well maintained. So yeah. if you get stuck in like a tree well or something, you're you're in there for the long haul. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are actually different variations on croquet, and we play the nine wicket version, mm -hmm. which is the yeah. sort of casual, fun version uh, that people in the U.S specifically we'll have like backyard sets for yeah there are more competitive mm -hmm. versions as well with six yeah. wickets different patterns and those like you really do need a completely flat well-maintained lawn mm -hmm. the way they're supposed to be played i guess mm -hmm. um we are not at that level <laughs> yeah do you guys uh participate in various lawn sports you know maybe competitions across chicago <laughs> or <laughs> um not going to say it hasn't been considered. Yeah. My sister goes to another school mm -hmm. and I suggested to her that she start another, I'm not sure the school uh, as generous as they are with food, uh, yeah. would pay for us to go to Virginia to play <laughs> lawn sports. Oh yeah. man. But, <laughs> yeah. That would be an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, I think we would have to get a little bit better so we wouldn't completely make a fool of ourselves. <laughs> That's true. On a competitive, you know, yeah. Yeah, we had, um, I guess, uh, a member of Lawn Sports from years ago, um, who since, I believe, graduated, was uh, actually very good. And in the six-wicket uh, um, sort of golf croquet mm -hmm. uh, tournament, he won the collegiate tournament for that two years in a row. But he is the outlier. Uh, <laughs> he did treat, uh, teach us some, some strategy, some... Mm -hmm strokes so for example like the there's a certain way like people assume that you play croquet like you're playing golf with sort of a side stroke yeah mm -hmm. um it's the yeah reality is it's kind of like a squatting a squatting position through the middle no. of your legs yeah <laughs> <laughs> they, they're different so if you're trying yeah. to go a long distance it's yeah. still good to do the golf stroke but mm -hmm. if you're going for accuracy i guess the analogy might be like putting mm -hmm. you yeah. you do the sort of squat and swing through your legs thing which is interesting when um 
sort of bystanders are walking <laughs> by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's definitely a sight to behold. Yes. <laughs> um, so I guess, what are your favorite kind of lawn sports enthusiast memories? Are there any particular tournaments or games that you look back on very fondly, especially since you're both fourth years now? It's true. Oh man, now I feel old. No, it's okay. Don't be sad. <laughs> we're I think we're all we're all coming to terms with it. Um, I guess my favorite memory was like parents' weekend. We we typically have uh, yeah a game going then when my parents came, mm -hmm. and so my dad and my younger brother were also taking mm -hmm. part in in yeah. croquet, and they are, they were actually doing pretty well, which yeah. is kind of I think my dad I think won, they, your dad won, and was, they were both beating us. Yeah, so. it was kind of soul shattering a little <laughs> bit, but that was that was really fun. Yeah. Um, um, her brother has since become yeah, a, a vice president, yeah. so. That's great. Yeah, um, so it's carrying on a legacy. <laughs> yeah. I would say my favorite was, I don't know, they're all good, but the first one I ever attended got me into lawn sports, so that was spring of my second year, and that one was really fun um, because I got to know the people in the organization, and I played croquet for the first time ever, so. Mm -hmm. Enjoyed that one. It was also nice weather, which is a plus. We struggle a little with the Chicago mm -hmm. weather and yeah. planning events. So. Yeah, it's hard in the winter. So yeah. we try to, you know, load load up the spring and fall. Yeah. Do you guys ever do any lawn sports in the winter time, or just kind of hang out, or it's mostly you're kind of on hiatus until the spring? It's like it's more towards hiatus. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we, we can always. Hang I think out. we've had um, like budgeting meetings where everyone got together before but generally it's a, a hiatus time and we'll have multiple events in the fall and mm -hmm. spring. I mean I guess this winter's been a little bit weird in that it hasn't really been snowing mm -hmm. so you can play on the grass but yeah. that's not really typical. It's yeah. too um, cold. Yeah, yeah it's kind of hard to ask people to come out. <laughs> it's like 20 degrees but I promise. Yeah you, we <laughs> should play fun. Yeah. we should play croquet for an hour. Yeah. yeah so we've talked a little bit about croquet so tell me about bocce. How does that work? Mm. So that one, it's like you have three different colors, uh, th three different colored balls, and there's one white one. So you the throw white out one's the white smaller. one. Yeah, the, the white one's smaller. So one one person will throw that out, and that's where you have to get near that ball. So then everyone else takes turns throwing their ball to get close to the, the white one. So it's much mm -hmm. simpler. The games will take like maybe five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess it, it's fun because you can kind of create alliances. Like if someone's doing really well, <laughs> you can be like, all right, like let just aim for their ball instead, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that one's really commonly played on the beach, which obviously mm -hmm. we don't have. We just play it on the grass. <laughs> yeah. But that's where you'll see it a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fun. Um, do those just, games, just a quick game. Yeah. Does those, do those games tend to get a particularly competitive since, <laughs> since, you, since you have a little more room to kind of go yeah. for other people? Yeah, I, I would say so. It's also, um, it's easier for other people to get into, so like if someone's coming to an event for the first time, they'll probably gravitate towards Boshi, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is really nice. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to have that diversity of games so mm -hmm. that you can have, like if you have a lot of people, multiple going at once, and yeah. Yeah, I think we're aiming for lawn darts next, so. Oh, so uh, tell me a little bit about that, so how would that work? <laughs> um, It's like, uh, oh my god. Darts, yeah. regular darts, but the, the thing is on the ground. Okay. The, oh my god, <laughs> the, I, uh, the, what is English? The, the target. The yes. Target, yes. Yeah. The target is on the ground, so you, you just kind of like have these giant darts that you hope you won't hit anyone with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah I sure hope so. Yeah. I feel like that would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Ugh. 
That's great. So is that going to be uh, the sec- new secret sport for uh, yeah, for definitely. spring 2018? You heard it here first. Yeah, you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> here in my interview with a lot of sports enthusiasts. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I guess to, to kind of, since you're both, uh, we talked a little bit about this since you're both fourth years, um, what do you envision, do you envision anything changing for the Lawn Sports Enthusiast Club? Are you just happy that this is, that your legacy will most likely continue? <laughs> like, what, what is it? I mean, I think we'd like the, the new leadership to take it in a direction that's exciting to them as long as they adhere to, like, the general sort of sentiment of Lawn Sports Enthusiasts, which I know for a fact they all do, so... Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think for me, uh, we are we already do some partnerships with Coof and whatnot. But like, I don't know if they could if they could get a little bit more of that going. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, maybe one day have a strong <laughs> presence on campus. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do the Coo <laughs> pop up picnic sometimes. Uh, CLI will have events um, in Hutch Courtyard, uh, and we'll do lawn sports will supply some lawn sports for them but Mm -hmm. one thing that we had been considering is for organizations on campus that wanted to use a lawn sports set Mm -hmm. is renting it out as a sort of fundraising technique so that's something that we kind of like tried out Mm -hmm. and I mean if the new leadership wants to take that further than we've been able to then we'd certainly be happy. Mm -hmm. So would you guys be open to partnering with other organizations on campus to maybe you know uh, have a lawn sports enthusiast leads uh, a lawn sport like like you know a game of croquet or something along those lines yeah definitely we have multiple sets so oh exciting uh, you can get more than one croquet game going <laughs> sounds fun yeah, yeah i think spring quarter is is going to be really great for you guys oh yeah absolutely um, when the I'm weather gets nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> um especially at the had like a wellness the the, the wellness fair we'll, oh, yeah. we'll definitely be setting up there as well um, oh that's great um, we we're we are pretty aggressive, I think, on social media, mm-hmm. um, in that we we're kind of carrying on the tradition of being kind of silly when mm-hmm. we do it. So we protect we like go online and find you know evidence of famous people playing croquet or bocce mm-hmm. or some form of lawn sport, and then we yeah. kind of kind of riff off them like <laughs> you know you too can can become like a great bocce mm-hmm. player like Cameron Diaz like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah the founders definitely started this whole like almost using the Facebook page as like oh um means of satire and stuff mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorite parts of the organization actually apart from of course playing lawn sports yeah but, yeah so who's in charge of the social media Oh, I'd no. say Marissa more than I am. Yeah. 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 I am. Uh, over the summer, I was very briefly a copywriting intern at, uh, at a social media company, so I took that to mean that I <laughs> <laughs> I should do. Yeah, I'm now qualified. More of that. Yeah. yeah. I'm 100 percent qualified. Please hire mm-hmm. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like a really great experience, and yeah. it sounds like the social media seems to be doing well. So you know. Now you have uh, now you have something to show in your portfolio. That's true. Yeah, I mean it's on there. It's on my resume. Coach yeah. Chief enthusiast. That's yeah. great. So Got how come more questions than anything else on my resume actually? Really? That's so fair. what? So how come you guys are co-chief enthusiasts rather than, <laughs> you know, presidents? Especially since you do have vice presidents. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. Like you can't you can't yeah. expect coherency. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I like the co-chief enthusiast title. Mm-hmm. I think that it expresses the enthusiasm and is a little more unique than just the mm-hmm. standard sort of vice, uh, 
president, vice president. I'm less sure of why <laughs> the next step down is vice president. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Vice chief enthusiast is getting kind of long, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I can. I can. You know. And maybe you you graduate to a chief enthusiast. You yeah, know. That's true. Yeah. You have to. You know. Put in a, uh, some amount of enthusiasm yeah. before you can be a, a chief enthusiast. Yeah. You got to exactly. earn that title. You got to <laughs> earn the enthusiasm. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, so I guess uh, as we're wrapping up. Um, is there anything that you wish people knew about the Law Sports Enthusiast Club? Um, I think I think we try to put forward the idea that we're like very laid back and that it's sort of a low-key organization where you can drop by mm -hmm. whenever you want. But I hope that people like take us at our word and I might be overestimating our reach by <laughs> saying that I hope we're making people aware like there are certainly some students on campus who've never heard of lawn sports enthusiasts. So yeah, yeah I hope <laughs> I hope that people uh, find out about us. Um, I think that we're a really fun organization to join, especially when you're like coming to the school for the first time and like managing your time because we only do like a few events per quarter. There's not like a requirement that you come to a lot of meetings mm -hmm. to do logistical things. It's just a group that gets together to play croquet. So think people stopping by to play croquet is absolutely what we want. Yeah, and actually kind of going off of that, I think what one thing that might be difficult is like once once we've already set up a game of croquet, it might seem hard to join in in the middle. Yeah. So just kind of I guess putting like emphasizing that you can stop in whatever, like we're not going to be like Yeah. Like who who are these people? Well, we definitely, <laughs> you know, love new faces. It's great. Um, so I think that's a wonderful note to end on, and hopefully you will, uh, as a result of this, you will have a couple new members of the Lawn Sports Enthusiast Club. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Up. thanks so much for sitting down with me, you guys. Yeah, um, thanks for thank having you. us. Yeah, and I hope you have a great day. You, you too. too. Thank you to Aiden for producing that episode, and you can check more of those out as the quarter goes on. Thank you to all of our friends that sat down with Quinn Kane to talk about the Illinois primary elections. Thank you to Aaron Senden and Andrew Dietz for providing music for this podcast. Thank you to Ben Kent and the entire Logan Cage staff for our stellar equipment. Thank you, finally, as always, to Catherine McDonald for being the initial supporter of this podcast and for never wavering in her commitment to this project. That's all we've got for you this week. We will catch you on Monday. I'm Austin. And I'm Miles. And thank you for listening.